Welcome back to the Mindset Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Alanis, current Juco Bandit, and most importantly, follower of Christ, on a mission to get myself and every listener 1% better. Each week, this podcast brings you a message or a special guest to help you discover why your mindset matters. Thank you for listening, and let's get right into it. Little forewarning before we hop in, my voice is kind of dead, so just bear with me here. But shout out to homie Chris Medina, he told me to do it anyways. As we get started with this episode, let me ask you a question. What idols are you rocking with? The things that have a lot of significance in your life. I'm not talking about Asherah poles or pale monuments or Buddha statues or even American Idol. I'm talking about the hidden modern day idols. The first thing you think of in the morning are the things that keep you up at night. The people, places, or situations that have a huge hold on your life. The things that captivate your mind. Let me challenge your thought process a little bit. Think of idols as the things that take up most of your thoughts, time, attention, and effort. What comes to mind when you think about this? When you hear most people talk about idols, you usually hear about artists or your sport, maybe a crush or significant other. Maybe it's money, popularity, or success. All of these are inherently good things that God has blessed us with as part of the joys of his creation. But when we place the priority and the level of importance or significance that we associate these things with, that's what ultimately makes them not so good. Simply put, good things turn bad when we idolize them. Now to start, I'm going to pick on money. Money is a tool and a blessing. And just like any other blessing God entrusts us with, we're supposed to be good stewards and bless others with those blessings. Ecclesiastes 10.19 says a feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. When I read this for the first time, I was shook. Like, no shot the Bible is teaching us to party and drink and be a paper chaser. So I did some digging. Shoutoutgotquestions.org We all know that context is key. Well, the same thing applies to the Bible. Ecclesiastes is a tricky book, and you have to read it from the right lens and perspective, the right context. Now in Ecclesiastes, the author is answering this question. How does one live his or her life without God? So with that, we know Ecclesiastes is practical. It's full of worldly wisdom, and the book is contrasting common sense versus foolishness. Think of Ecclesiastes as how the world thinks. You still with me? Alright, buckle up. The phrase under the sun is repeated many times throughout the book. This is implying a perspective of life without God. It's a human life lived without any consideration of God or eternity, much like most of society. And from that godless perspective, everything is pointless. In the third verse of the book, it says, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? And in verse 14, it says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Which honestly is really poetic once you truly understand what's going on here. Without God, everything is pointless and in vain, and it's all going to be gone when you die. Trying to build up a life for yourself on earth without God is like chasing after the wind. It's pointless. You can't take anything with you to eternity. So... Back to chapter 10, verse 19, where it says money is the answer to everything. 
The verse is emphasizing what a worldly person would say, someone without God. And the sad truth is, in this broken, fallen world, most people would agree that money is the answer to everything. But another common trait about paper chasers is that they are never satisfied. They can never have enough or be too comfortable or content with what they have. 1 Timothy 6 talks a little bit about money. Starting in verse 6, Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Now money itself isn't bad or evil and it won't destroy you. Wealth is morally neutral. There is nothing wrong with money in and of itself or the possession of money. It is a blessing and a tool to be used here on earth, something that God entrusts us with to use for his glory and to help build up his kingdom here on earth and to provide. However, when money begins to control us, that's when trouble starts, especially when you make money an idol. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now back to 1 Timothy 6. Paul writes in verse 17, As for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Pause. Haughty meaning prideful or arrogant. Now back at it. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Well, there you go. Take it as you hear it. Do good, rich in works, generous, ready to share. Little reminder, faith without works is dead. Now from the flip side of the coin, what you don't hear as often is what most of us would agree are bad things that actually can be idolized as well. The things that can keep us in a place of suffering and brokenness and hold us captive in a victim mindset. I'm going to give you an example in a second, but before I do, let's talk about Job. I'll briefly summarize the 42 chapters of the book of Job, but you should definitely check it out yourself. First off, who is Job? Well, the first verse of the book tells us Job was blameless and upright, a God-fearing man who turned away from evil. Alright, pretty good guy. The bar set high. On top of this, he had 10 kids. Seven of them were sons and three of them were daughters. Big family. Check. His possessions included and we'll get back to these later, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 500 donkeys, and a lot of servants, so that he was the greatest of all the people in the east. Okay, greatest of all the people in the east. So, Job is the man. Got it. He's got it all. Big family, a lot of property, animals, wealth. Bro is blessed. Now, next thing you know, Satan comes before God and says, hey, Job is only faithful and serves you because he has everything, and you protect Job and all that he has. So, Satan asks for God's permission to test Job's faith and loyalty to God. 
and God grants him permission within certain boundaries. God tells Satan that all that Job has is now Satan's. However, Satan could not directly go after Job, meaning taking his life. And following this, tragedy strikes. Job loses his children, property, and health. After this, Job's wife and friends confront him. His wife urged him to curse God for all that he has allowed, and his friends tried convincing him that his suffering was punishment from God. Yet through all this, he remained blameless and upright in God's eyes, as he had been all his life. Another man, Elihu, tells Job that what he was facing was a season of humbling and to submit to God's trials because we won't always understand why God lets us go through trials, but there is always a purpose. In the final few chapters, Job questions God and his sovereignty, and ultimately God speaks to Job and teaches him valuable lessons, specifically about being patient and that we may never understand why God lets us go through storms, but it is crucial to trust him through it all. God could easily stop or not allow suffering, yet if he allows it to be, it must be for a reason. God is preparing us for greatness and blessings. After this, God restores Job's health, happiness, and prosperity. God literally doubled Job's previous possessions as he now had 14,000 sheep, 7,000 camels, 2,000 oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. Job also had seven more sons and three more daughters. Not only did God restore Job, God gave him more than he ever had before. Alright, now it's story time. There was a guy I used to know who, much like Job, was well favored. However, unlike Job, this guy didn't take into consideration that it was God's favor. He thought his great life was by his own doing. In doing this, he idolized himself, thinking of himself as God, and too proud to truly acknowledge God's favor in his life. Anywho, this guy seemingly had it all. In high school, he was a varsity athlete all four years. He was pretty popular. He drove a cool car. He was spoiled by his parents. He got a D1 scholarship, got all the girls. This guy thought he had it all figured out. But in the span of a year, he got injured, lost his scholarship, lost his girlfriend, his purpose, his seemingly stable life. It's as if he fell off the face of the earth. He lost everything he thought he built for himself. He thought he had control, he thought he had dominion, and unlike Job, this guy blamed God for what he lost. He turned away from God and fell even further down the hole that he made for himself. He thought he was alright though, betting heavily on a comeback story, yet he was in a dangerous headspace. He was a self-destructive, volatile time bomb fueled by anger and hungry for revenge. So over that year, he filled his mind with the memories of everything he once had but were now gone. He allowed his mindset to stay captive in a victim mindset, thinking it was motivating and pushing him to be better. The typical villain arc story. All credit to him though, he was definitely determined and motivated. Yet that fuel he used to keep going was extremely volatile, unpredictable, and blew up with any and every minor inconvenience giving any external factor the power to make or break his day. This dude was soft, a head case, and unstable in every way. His idol was his brokenness. And this dude was me. 
If I had been more like Job, I wouldn't have had to suffer for a year. Sure, my circumstances may not have changed, but I at least would have had sanity, and I definitely would have been stable. It took me a little over a year to realize that I still had everything I needed. When, from the outside, to the world, it seemed like I lost everything. If you lose everything and find God, you've won it all. That's the biggest win possible. And looking back on it, God let me lose it all to realize all I need is Him. And that He is the only thing that should be at that top spot, the top priority. Remember when I said good things go bad when we idolize them? Well, the opposite is true when God is that top spot. Romans 8.28 says, And we all know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And that first part is often left out, for those who love God. Loving God is putting Him first, at that top spot, actually knowing Him as Lord of your life, not picking and choosing when you want to let Him lead. From my life, that looked like not giving priority to what schools, teams, people, or girls wanted me. If you're depending and leaning on such things to fulfill you and make you happy, you're idolizing them. Learn from me. When they inevitably go away, you're going to fall because those temporary things are not stable ground and they can't sustain you. They're here one day and gone the next. Build your house on the rock. In Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus teaches and states, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Just as it said in Ecclesiastes, without God, life is vain and pointless. That's the harsh truth. But here's some encouraging truth. Once you do put him at that top spot, or if you already have, you notice how well things really do work together for good. Things just work inexplicably, divinely, and perfectly. Even the broken, messy, left-for-dead parts of your life, especially those parts. Pastor Jeff Vine said this last Sunday, and this verse truly means in all things. There are no restrictions and no limits. All things includes the good, bad, and the ugly. God takes advantage of every disadvantage in your life and uses it for His glory. Facts. I've lived it. I've seen it, and if you're thinking, no, it's impossible for that one thing in my life to get cleaned up, give it to God and think no more. Luke 18.27 says, The things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Up until this year, my house was built on sand. Adversity is inevitable, tragedy hit, storms came, my house fell, and the fall was great. Without that firm foundation, I was tossed with the wind and I was lost. But God is the lighthouse giving hope to the lost ships at the sea. Even though I wasn't blameless or upright like Job, and I turned away from God, God is still good, and God is faithful. God isn't petty, and He awaits His prodigal son's return. 
This year I built my house on the rock, leaning and depending solely on God, putting Him first in all I do, living every day doing my best in all that I do to glorify His name. No, I'm not perfect, but trying is a start. In the following months after being saved, one by one the Lord began to flood my life with answered prayers and open doors. God had restored my life better than it ever was before, and He continues to overflow my life with blessings. Things I have searched for my whole life, personality traits and characteristics, desires, community, and overall quality of life have been found as a byproduct of living for Him. When I lived for myself, for my own selfish ambition, my life was full of uncertainty, instability, anxiety, depression, and insecurity. Yet as I flipped my focus to letting Jesus be the Lord of my life, everything that I have ever needed and wanted has come as a bonus. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Let my life be proof of this and a testament to God's goodness and glory. Learn from Job. Regardless of how little you understand the situation, trust God. We're not always going to understand the situation because we're not God. He's the man with the plan, the one who is always in control. A year ago, I was convinced I was stuck in a pothole and at a dead end. Yet God called me out of that hole and opened a new door, then another, then another. And that's how life is as a follower of Christ. I may not know exactly where my road leads, and that's okay. I know exactly who is leading me, and He is opening doors for me that I could never open on my own. Alright guys, that about wraps it up for this episode. I appreciate each and every single one of you listening in. Do me a favor, and if you like this episode, send it to a friend, family member, you know, whoever needs it. And next week, I'll be back with Singleness Part 2. So until next time, stay positive, love others, and have a good week. And stay blessed.